Hello. Over the next few weeks, we're going to work our way through the letter that James wrote to the churches of Jewish Christians dispersed around the Mediterranean. It's an interesting letter, not least because of the controversy surrounding it. It's a bit like Marmite, you either love or hate it. Well, hate is perhaps a bit strong, but it's not everyone's favourite book by any means. I often wonder if that's more to do with its content than anything else. You see, James doesn't pull any punches. He's not great on eloquent, structured writing. Jesus doesn't get much of a mention, and he even at times appears to contradict Paul, possibly even on purpose. Of course, for some, all these things are really positive, especially for those who struggle with some of Paul's writing simply because it is very eloquent and maybe even too complicated to understand sometimes. This letter, though, has, however, found persistently its way into the hearts and minds of men and women down through the ages as one not to be written off, but to be considered carefully and put into practice. James is a very practical person. I wonder if that's why he seems to have a scattergun approach with some of his thinking. A bit is written here and then he goes on to something else and later he returns to his first thought. The words are not always very logical as you read them. And another important thing to notice about James is that he's very fond of the verb do, which is great because it means that his letter is actually quite easy to understand, but it's also one of the hardest to undertake. He's very good with vivid illustrations and pictures to help us think through his practical and realistic notion that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only. So who is he? James was the half-brother of Jesus. An advantage, you might think. Well, no, not really, because one of the first things we hear about Jesus' brothers is that they did not believe in him. John writes that in chapter 7, verse 5 of his Gospel. However, by the time we reach the Ascension, all those brothers, they are listed, along with Mary and the disciples, as constantly being in prayer and worship where they were staying in Jerusalem. So what brings this change, especially for James? Well, Paul answers that for us in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. So not long after this, James became one of the leaders in Jerusalem, and so we can see that whilst Jesus may not get much of a mention in the letter by name, it is actually born from a life steeped in listening to what he had to say. It is soaked in the words and wisdom of James' older brother as Sam Albury says in his commentary. And our passage today is a classic example of this. It comes after the briefest of greetings and after James' opening section on trial and temptations. Let's just pause for a minute. Trials and temptations? Over these last few months, we've all faced many trials and temptations of all sorts. Life has not been easy and for many remained so. How then does it feel to hear James say in verses two and three, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. This is his very first do. 
He's not telling us how to feel about the troubles, but how to think about them. And if we adopt his way of thinking about this tough stuff, whatever it is for you or for me, then we stand a chance of growing and deepening our faith. Had you ever thought that going through these things is an opportunity to cling on to the promises of God more tightly? I'm reminded of someone who once said to me, God is not after just a little change in your life. He wants a big one. Don't be smug, be humble. We all have to grow up and move on in our Christian lives. I suppose this means that our trials and temptations are never wasted experiences, however painful. And that person saying that to me, well, I really struggled for a while. But God will be achieving things in us as we go through stuff, if we have the will to let him. Please note though, James is not saying that suffering is a good thing in and of itself. It is not. But he is saying that what God can accomplish through suffering can be good. So back to our passage. Do you ever wonder how God can be good to us all the time? James reminds us here as we read from verse 17. First of all, it's because he is powerful. The creator God who takes an interest even in us, you and me. Secondly, he is dependable. He doesn't change. Even though God made the heavenly lights, he says, the sun, the moon, he's not like them. Now to us, they're constantly moving as the planet rotates, but he does not. God doesn't do that. He doesn't have phases like them. We're not best friends one week and sworn enemies the next. He is always committed to us. Thirdly, he's gracious. He's the one who chooses to give us new birth by the word of truth i.e. God's word through and in Christ that will enable us to live the very best lives we can live even in the midst of the rest of a world and a society that is pretty messed up and let's face it that's just where we are right now. So having said all of that James then goes on to share something of how to do this how to live well and be authentic Christian believers in such a world. The Jewish believers he was writing to mainly lived in the messy societies outside Israel, where they soon picked up the habits of the cultures around them. Some even became embarrassed to be known as Christians, and they became quite lax in their behaviour, couldn't cope with the tough things they were facing. So how to stop this? Well, James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Whenever we read the Bible, it's very important that we listen to its words well. Perhaps one of the most fundamental things we know about God is that he speaks. He relates to us through his word. And so, James says, we need to listen well, really well. Why? Well, because if we don't, if we only half listen, then we can deceive ourselves, verse 22, and find ourselves in the dangerous position of thinking we're responding to God in the right way, when really we're not. We're just being like everyone else. I often wonder if I'm a good listener. Think back to the beginning of the chapter. James is mindful of how his readers, and that includes you and me, face trials of many kinds, verse 2, as we said. I don't know about you, but I know when I'm struggling with stuff, I'm often much slower to listen and much too quick to speak, and often with anger lurking in the background too. And I can become consumed by what I'm going through. It's all I can think about, talk about, even seethe about. And in these times, I'm much less likely to really listen to others who might be trying to help me or even to scripture as my experiences drown out everything else. I don't think God is very happy with me when I'm like that. James suggests, verse 20, 
human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. He says I need to change my behaviour. I need to really listen in order to protect my heart and mind and begin to live again a life that pleases God. So listening involves much more than just my ears. And James doesn't stop there. Don't just listen to the word, do what it says. If we're listening with our heart and mind as well as our ears, then the way we respond to the situations we find ourselves in will be different to the rest of society. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Well, that's all very well, but what does it look like in reality? Well, first, I think it means studying the Bible and not just on our own, but with others too. I can honestly say that I often learn things studying the Bible with others that I would probably not have done on my own because they share things as they see them from their experience as I do from mine. But then I can do what it says, verse 22. If we've listened, that's great, even vital. But if we only listen, then we are being as foolish as someone who doesn't listen at all. James says it's a bit like looking in a mirror. You do it to check out what might need some attention. What matters is not the look itself, but the action, the stuff we do as a result of what we see. Well, this speaks to me of obedience, of being not just a hearer of the word, but a doer too. Mirrors show us problems, things that need some attention before we go out, perhaps. That's why we use them. None of us wants to go out with yesterday's dinner down our shirt. James suggests that having realised we might be embarrassed in public, we don't ignore that fact. Otherwise, why should we look in the mirror in the first place? The Bible is our mirror for being able to lead an authentic Christian life that we aspire to. Hebrews 4 tells us it is a double-edged sword, challenging, provoking and confronting. Aubrey says one thing the Bible does when we read it is to show you, you. What might you see? Well, I hope and for me too, that we would see evidence. Evidence that we live an authentic Christian life, no matter what's going on around us. As we are obedient to what we hear in God's word, so we'll be transformed. Well, at least we could be if we dare. And that will mean being obedient. If we follow God's word, it will change us. And James suggests some of the ways that will happen throughout his letter. Verse 26, keep a tight rein on your tongue. Now he'll talk more about the tongue later on. I told you he skipped about a bit in his letter. But here he is very clear. If we consider ourselves to be spiritual, but we're not careful with our words, if we find ourselves saying things that are untrue or destructive, or we wish afterwards we had never said, then perhaps we're not really following God at all. James expects us to be careful with what comes out of our mouths. Otherwise, he says, our faith is worthless. And Paul writes about obscenities and gossip and lies and curses too. He says that if these find a place in our speech, then perhaps not all is well between us and God. On the other hand, James says, more positive evidence would be how you are dealing with orphans and widows and keeping yourself from being polluted by the world. James would have known orphans and widows to be the most destitute and vulnerable people of his time. Who are those people in our day? Maybe the refugees coming from Afghanistan now, 
all those desperately trying to leave sub-Saharan Africa and finding themselves on Fuerteventura where all our knitting is going? There is so much exploitation in the world of one human being over another. What about all those countries who are too poor to be able to afford to vaccinate their citizens against COVID-19? Are we indifferent to all of this? Or might we decide to see what we can do about it? This is beyond our personal piety. It's a huge issue, one that we'll look at a bit more next week. But it is where our world is at, right now. So I want to leave you with this thought. James says we need to listen, really listen, with all that we are. Not just so we can hear, but so we can do. Do whatever the right thing is at the right time. As we accept and obey God's word to us, we will find the way of freedom and blessing, and not just for ourselves, but for all those others that we will do things for too. For me, that's exciting and something I want to be part of. And over the next few weeks, as we look at James's letter, I wonder what things will strike you. What will you want to be part of? Let's journey together. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, as we study this letter that James wrote, we pray that you will help us to use it like a mirror, to see what we need to pay attention to, so that glory might come to your name. Amen.